I'd like to talk to you about that little habit you picked up recently. You know the one I'm talking about. It started out as a passing thought, but quickly became a fixation. At first, it didn't come naturally, but with time, it became almost automatic. Something you do without even thinking about it. That's the habit I'm talking about. What do you think? Are habits good or bad? The answer is, it depends. Habits normally fall into two categories, those that are learned passively and those that are learned intentionally. Join us as we continue our series, Habits. We'll be looking at both kinds of habits and how, with God's help, we can cut out some old habits and start some new ones. If you would like more information about New Hope Church, please visit our website at www.newhopecapecoral.com. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. And worship team, thank you for everything you guys do, but especially for that song. I mean, it, it sounds funny to talk about something God would do as being reckless. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. We don't have the vocabulary it takes to, to, to adequately demonstrate how much God loves us. So we, we throw on him what we would say about ourselves. We would say going to that extreme to save a wretch like me who continually runs away from him, that is silly. That is stupid. That is Pointless, that is reckless, because that's what humans say about each other. But, of course, that in no way implies that God is reckless. He loves us that much, even when it just blows our little brains. He can't, we can't fathom how much he loves us in spite of all we've done. So we try our best to use our vocabulary. And I think one day in heaven, God does this rewrite of these songs with the exact right words. So I know when we get there, it's just all going to make sense. But we're glad you're here today because we're finishing up a series called Habits. And we've talked about habits. We've talked about habits. We've talked about bad habits. Today we're talking about good habits. But we decided the thing about habits is they're normal. They're natural. It comes in all of our lives. In fact, God created us, our, our bodies, our minds, our psyches to even look for habits. We talked about how scientists say that, that our bodies, much like a computer hard drive, would seek these familiar patterns, these familiar pathways. Even like rain, after a big rainstorm, looks for a path to flow down. And the more it flows, the wider and the deeper that pathway goes. It makes it that much easier for the next rainstorm to flow along that same path. Our mind is the same way. Our psyche is the same way. Our, our human nature is the same way. We look for these familiar pathways, these familiar ways to flow and, and to do things so we don't have to think and rethink and, and redecide every single day. Do I wake up and brush my teeth? Do I wake up having a cup of coffee? Do I wake up and listen to CNN? Do I wake up and listen to Fox? Well, no, that's different. Okay, so we, we, we look for these patterns and that enables us or better say, that enables our minds to slip into default mode, to slip into autopilot mode for certain daily routines, pathways that are familiar, goes into auto mode so that we have brain power, attention span, bandwidth to pay attention to truly important things that are coming our way. It could be danger, it could be a wonderful opportunity, it could be something that we could otherwise not do unless we had that much bandwidth in our mind and our attention to do. So habits in and of themselves are a good thing. The problem is, we learned last week, that not only do we understand that about ourselves, but the enemy understands that as well. So he 
uses every opportunity. We talked about this. He never misses an opportunity to invite us down a familiar pathway that we know only leads to destruction. We talked about a number of these. This week, we're looking in the other direction. We're talking about good habits. And of course, it being January, I'm sure many of us were thinking about good habits in terms of New Year's resolutions. Give me, give me a few examples. What, what are some of the, the good habits that, that you or someone may, might have decided to pick up in 2020? Just give me an example. Jimmy, Jimmy surprisingly suggested lose a little weight. Good. What other good habits might you have picked up? Exercise some more. Good. What else? Go to church more. Preach it, brother. Go to church more. <laughs> Way to go, Pastor. What else? Eat healthier. Excellent. What else? Read your Bible more. Oh, I like that one. That's why she's sitting up front. <laughs> she always got the right answer. Well, I brought my own list. Y'all, this is an older book. I don't know if many of you remember. Robert Fulcrum wrote a book called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in. Oh, you do know it, see? All right, I'm going to read his credo. You may remember this. These are, these are what he listed out as the most important things in life, and he learned them all in kindergarten. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Clean up your own messes. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some. And draw and paint and sing and dance some. And play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. <laughs> and when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. That's a pretty good list. Yeah. What are we going to do with good habits? Well, folks, traditionally here, we'll take a, a piece of Scripture, a passage of Scripture, and we'll work through that passage. Today, we're going to do something a little differently. We're going to look at three different passages of Scripture, and there's a very specific reason why. I've mentioned to you last week, and actually many times, that it is not my task, not my role, and not how I see my job, is to prescribe for you things you ought to do. You will never receive from me a list of how to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly teenager. I will always point you to God's word. Now we're going to pull it apart and dig into it and understand what God's saying to us, but it is not my job, nor would I ever want to tell you from me. Dave said, this is a list of do's and this is a list of don'ts. God gave you a brain. That's why you're here. We're thinking, we're digging in, we're understanding his word. So I'm going to show you three areas where I believe God is calling us to form good habits in 2020. In these three areas, there will be a number of habits that you may choose to form. Of course, I'm hoping and praying that you would form all of them. But it is up to you. It is between you and the Lord. <clears throat> That's my little subtle guilt trip. <laughs> Dig into your Bible with me to the book of Colossians. That's where we're going to start. The first, the first good habit has to do with the Word of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. If you have a Bible, open up. Otherwise, look at that. You guys are sharp and fast. They got it up on the board. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. You'll find it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude 
in your hearts. All right, let's dig into this a little bit. I believe God's going to show us three different ways, three different habits that we can form all under the category of the word, God's word. God wants us to have more of his word in our lives in 2020 and for the rest of our lives. And these three habits that you may choose to form, I think will help you do that. Look at the first couple words. Dwell. That's a very important word in this, in this uh, context. The word dwell, as you may imagine, it may be a different word in your translation. It means to live. To, to, to put down roots, to say, this is my abode, this is where I'm staying, this is my home. But this particular Greek word adds a little simple prefix. And don't worry, we're not going to get all technical here. But pretty much what it does is it kind of doubles the meaning of that word dwell. So what God is trying to say is, I want you to indwell your dwelling place. Like, like he's being a little bit redundant, or, or, or okay, maybe a lot redundant. He's saying, I want you to indwell your dwelling place with something. We're going to find out what in just a second. Indwell your dwelling place. He's saying, I don't want God's word to just be a visitor in your home. I don't want God's word to just be passing through and spending a couple of nights on its way to a cruise flying out of Miami. God's saying, I want God's word to move into your home, to indwell the place where you live, to put down roots in your life, in your heart, to be a permanent resident, even the owner of your house. Because an owner of a new house acts very differently than a visitor or a guest in a new house. A guest keeps all of their clothes in the suitcase because they're leaving in two days. At least we pray they're leaving in two days. <laughs> In, I don't know, do they say this? In, in German, they have this saying that, that guests like fish start to stink after three days. Is that, is that a German one? or an, an, If it's not an English one, we should pick it up. It's a good saying. But uh, guests like fish start to stink after three days. And I realize we got a bunch of snowbirds visiting. Of course, we don't mean you. We're talking about other guests. <laughs> so, but here's the deal. The Bible, God's word, is not a guest in your house. God is saying, I want it to indwell your dwelling place. I want God's word to be the owner, to unpack, to settle in. It is not a guest. And to help you do that, if you found maybe around, I should have grabbed one, one of these simple little cards, and we have more. Ryan has some more. Grab one of these. It is a very simple tool. It's a 21-day devotional on your Bible app. If you're not using your Bible app, Shame on you, you should. In there you will also find the notes for all of our sermons, but also some excellent devotionals. And we've chosen this one because it's a three-week devotional. We're going to be doing it together as a church. The, the directions are right there, how to pull it up, how to use it. We're going to do that beginning tomorrow for three weeks. Why three weeks? Well, you know as well as I do, that's how long it takes to pick up a new habit. Traditionally, it takes about three weeks of consistently doing something to make it a habit. So we're going to do this again. That's just a simple tool how you might choose to uh, include daily devotionals or a quiet time, you might call it, or, or your time alone with the God to dig in so that God's word doesn't just pass through on a Sunday morning. God's word doesn't just pass through on a Wednesday night. God's word doesn't pass through when you're really desperate and looking for an answer. But God's word puts down roots. It indwells your dwelling place as an owner and a co-owner would. Second word is richly. And this is important. This word richly is the same word as poly. And poly means many or much. Like, you know, we have the word polytechnic. That means a school that is dedicated to, to many different uh, of the technical uh, areas. Or, or polygamy. You know, a guy that's married to many different women. Of course, we have a, a different word for a guy that thinks he can keep that all straight. But that's not what we're talking about today. So, but, uh, but poly means many or different. But this word specifically means abundant or wealthy or fully resourced. Everything you need to do what God is calling you to do, you are resourced with that. You have no need. You have enough 
everything you need to get the job done, you have. So what is God saying? God is saying, in my word, I not only want you to be involved in daily devotions, I want you to, that the word would dwell in your house, but I want it to richly, with much abundance, as a wealthy person, that you would be fully resourced, that you would have enough. You have what you need to get the job done. When was the last time you were truly hungry? Now, I don't just mean a little bit. Some of you are doing the, uh, you know, the intermittent fasting thing of this new year, and you're going to try it out, whatever. But I mean really, really hungry. Folks tell us, sociologists tell us that one out of seven people in our world today, about one billion people, go to bed hungry every single night. It never changes. In biblical times, a wealthy person was easy to pick out in a crowd. They were usually a little plumper than the rest. Not that uh, unwealthy people didn't have anything to eat, but they weren't accustomed to eating. Like we eat, you know, three meals a day. And of course, if you're a Taco Bell fan, you have the fourth meal of the day that you don't want to miss. But we, God is calling, uh, in those days, even though they were uh, invited into the kingdom of God, invited to the family of God, that didn't mean that suddenly they had everything they needed to eat. And so the wealthy people, they had more than enough. And everyone else went to bed hungry. And so now God is calling and saying, you don't have to go to bed spiritually hungry. I will give you everything you need for every big decision, for every major life change, for every exciting thing and every difficult thing in your life. You will not be alone, I will supply all that if you let my word dwell in you richly. And that all takes place in these daily devotionals. It may be in the morning. It may be with this 21-day journal. You may have a different way of doing it. It may be in the evening before you fall asleep. But whenever that is, let God's word dwell in you richly. Second uh, opportunity in the, in the word section is the idea of a life group. Look at the next word. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. This is a good word. Now, we just talked about personal time of study, quiet time, personal Bible study. Now we're moving over to a group time, a, a teaching time. Here at our church, we call it Sunday school. We call it life group. We call it Bible study. But it's the idea of being in a group, opening God's word together, and one or more begin to teach and explain and admonish. Now, what does this word admonish mean? It, it means to get the mind right or to put the mind right. What, what does that mean? In a classroom, you have a different opportunity, whether it's a small group, a life group, a Sunday school class, a children's group, a student group, whatever it is, you have the opportunity not only to open God's word and seek to understand as the Holy Spirit teaches you like you would in your own quiet time, but in a life group, you have the opportunity for someone that's maybe just a little bit or maybe a lot bit further than you in his understanding or her understanding of, the, of God's word, helping you, and the Bible says, putting your mind right. It's very intellectual very, very instructional, very teaching kind of word. The idea that you would open God's word together and someone would actually instruct you. And as he or she instructs you, it puts your mind right. It gets you on the right path, helps you understand better what God is trying to say to us. And this only happens in a group, a life group, a small group, a Sunday school class, a Bible study time where you have that opportunity for God to speak into your life. I encourage you, this year, maybe that would be one of your habits, to seek out a life group. We have plenty of them going on right now during this hour. And then the next hour, when, when we have the second worship service, we have plenty more going on there. Even some are meeting outside during the cooler winter months. We have a Tuesday morning excellent Bible study that Brother Sterling does. We have Sunday afternoon classes. We have Wednesday night Bible study, which is a lot of fun. If you're a senior and you haven't been to our Thursday morning joy 
just older youth <laughs> Bible study group, I invite you to come. It's a blast. These guys are awesome. I mean, you want to talk about theology? I think we tried to add up one time how many years of experience with God and the Bible. I think we got up to about a thousand years. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible time, and there's coffee and cake. So, so there's plenty of opportunities to put yourself in a group and allow someone to put your mind right through God's word. And then thirdly, worship. Look at the rest of that verse, verse 16. Let the, message, well, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. It is no, there's no better time to allow God to mold your heart, to form your heart, to speak into your life than what we call worship service. Exactly what we're doing right now. There's, there's worship, there's prayer, there's, there's proclaiming of God's word. There's the opportunity in just a moment to fellowship. This is all a very important part. You may choose to make this one of your new priorities, one of your new habits in 2020. An opportunity to come together with the family of Christ. This word worship, uh, this is used there is the word charis, which is the same word for grace, and it means to, to favor someone or something, to, to be thankful, to, to prefer, to honor, even to lean into something that is important to you. And obviously that important thing, that important person is God. So when we come together, whether we're singing, whether we're praying, whether we're hearing God's word being proclaimed, we are leaning into, we are purposely opening our hearts and waiting expectantly for a word from God. And that word may come through the spoken word. It may come from a conversation afterwards. It may come from a powerful song like we just sung a moment ago. However God chooses to speak, we are leaning into that. And that takes time. I don't know how many of you gardeners have ever tried to train a vine or train a tree or train a bush. If you've ever been to Disney World, you've seen that all over the place. They train these bushes to do incredible things, to, to form beautiful uh, uh, statues and figures. Uh, but that takes time. You don't, you don't tell a palm tree to start you know, zigzagging around another palm tree and create this beautiful uh, uh, tree sculpture in your front yard. It takes years of, of leaning in and, and training and pushing and forcing and pulling and, and bringing together until it becomes something beautiful. But that didn't happen overnight. The Barna Research Group that studies stuff like churches and Christianity in America today, they, they used to talk about how many folks regularly attend churches in America. Now, when they used to say regularly attended, that meant three, even four times a month. That was regular for them. Apparently, the numbers are so bad now in 2020, they've had to change their definition of regular. Regular no, no longer means three to four times a month. It now means one to two times a month. That is regular church attendance in America today. And still the stats don't look great. What is God saying? God is saying, this is important. I want this to be a priority. Make this a habit in your life. It is important that you are not only doing your own quiet time, involved in a small group Bible study, but this time of fellowship where you're hearing and growing together, leaning into the things of God so that God can train you and grow you. Second of all, I believe another major area of prayer and another major area of habits that God is calling us to form is the area of prayer. We're going to open up to a different scripture for this one. Look in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's a different story. Again, this is unusual for us, but I want to look at this story as well. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. 
story that I'm sure many of you have heard. We're just going to take a minute to dig into it because God is teaching us a valuable lesson about prayer. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Let me just read that for us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Smart guy. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust, said, unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a pretty familiar story. Jesus giving us a, t a parable or telling us a story, trying to explain a deeper spiritual truth. What spiritual truth is he trying to teach us? It says it right there at the beginning, verse number one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now remember, he's talking to his disciples, said it right there in the Bible. This isn't one of those sermon on the mounts, come on, come all. This is the insiders, the ones that ought to know better. Church folk. And he's calling them together to say, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to teach you a lesson about always pray and never giving up. And then he tells his story. Why do you think God needs to tell the insiders, the church folks, why does he need to teach them a lesson about always pray and never giving up? Because apparently they keep praying and they do keep giving up. What do you think God's trying to teach us? Maybe the same thing. Let's look at the different characters in the story. First, we got the judge. Now, the judge is exactly like you'd picture him, the antithesis of a godly judge or a godly man or even God himself. He neither cares about God, he neither cares about others. God says that we are to love God and to love others, and this guy does none of the above. He's not only a bad judge, maybe some old judge is just grabbing his paycheck, counting the days till he gets to retire. Not only is he a bad judge, an unfair judge, an unjust judge, he's actually an illegal judge. In those days, in a theocracy where, where the, the judge and, and all the, the civil uh, leaders, they worked not only for the country and for the government, they worked for God because they believed they were under God's law. He knew better. He was actually acting not outside of fairness. He was acting outside of the law. And he still didn't care. He wasn't going to change no matter what you did. And on the other side, and, and then he was, he was going to be wrong. He was going to be bad. He was going to be illegal, especially in the Jewish setting. For us today, that would be like saying, you know, a mommy. A mommy that doesn't love her own kids. <laughs> or, or, or a pastor saying, there's a pastor I know who doesn't love God's word, the Bible. Or uh, there's, there's a teenager I know that doesn't love social media. I mean, it just doesn't compute. There's no way to understand that, and that's what we have. Now, on the other side, we have the widow. We have a growing club at our church. We haven't given it a name yet because no one wants to admit they're a member of this club. No one signed up for this club, but they're paying dues. Really, really big dues. 
issues of hurt and pain, and aloneness and tears. And if they could, they would choose not to be a member of this widow's club and widower's club. For the rest of us, we could not imagine what it's like to lose your spouse, especially at a young age where there's still kids in the house. You were supposed to grow old together. You were supposed to see your kids and your grandkids get big and strong and head out on their own together. You were supposed to take walks alone when all the work and all the struggle is over and just enjoy each other. And every dream you had together is now gone. Not to diminish any of that in any way, but imagine having all of those same hurts and pains, but you are a widow in the first century. You have that same pain, the same broken dreams, the same heartache, the same bucket of tears. And on top of that, you have lost your protector and you have lost your provider. And you are quite literally out on the streets. You are no one. In fact, uh, if you look even at this word widow, is the same word as the word chasm or gap. It means empty. It means no hope. It means no future. It means not complete. In fact, one definition I found for the word widow in Greek was one who has nothing. That was who this widow was. And she's supposed to come against this judge who has all the power and chooses not to give her any justice because he cares not about this woman nor about God. And this woman who has nothing comes against it. But there's one more character. This is a character of justice. Justice in, in the Greek word means uh, to set things right or to set things back to the right way that they were. In fact, in some definitions, it's even the word for avenge. God will avenge or bring justice or he will set things right. And this is what this woman needs. This is what this widow is begging for. And she is hounding this guy and hounding this guy and hounding this guy. All she wants is to, for him to come and set things right because it is not in her power to do that. Have you ever been there? All you want is for things to be right in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your spouse, in your job, in your body. All you want, and you are powerless to make that change alone. And you're crying out, and you're crying out, and you're crying out, and no one is giving you justice. No one is, no one is putting things right. Have you ever been there? So what is God trying to teach us with this story? This is a little harsh, if you ask me. Is God trying to teach us there that, that God is really nothing more than an evil despot in heaven and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't? And if you just continue to bang on the door until you finally get your way, well, good for you. Too bad for the others that gave up to Is that what God is trying to teach us with this? What about prayer are we supposed to learn here? What good habit? I think God is trying to teach us not that, because Jesus just refuted that. He says what God is trying to teach us is the power of persistence. The power of persistence. God is calling us in our prayer in 2020 as we develop habits of prayer that we would be persistent in that prayer. That we would not give up and not pray three whole days straight. And when it doesn't happen the way we want, that we throw in the towel and say, well, I guess God just doesn't hear my prayers. 
Because the problem is that God does hear your prayers. And as you're praying and in that persistence, in that clinging to his hands and to his throne, he changes us. And I know many of us say, yeah, but what if I'm praying for the wrong thing? What if God doesn't want to change that relationship? What if God doesn't want me to win the lotto? What if something I'm praying for isn't in his will? Maybe that's why. Well, here's the deal. God ain't scared of you. God ain't scared of your prayers. You go ahead and keep praying that wrong thing. But if you are persistent and if you continually go to him and if you are in continual communication with him, here's what happens. The closer you get to God, the more he forms and transforms you and your prayer into what his perfect will is. By the end, you can't pray for the wrong thing because you've come so close to him that he's changed and transformed your heart. There is, it is not, the, the sin is not praying for the wrong thing. The sin is not praying at all. God is calling us to be persistent in our prayer. What will that look like for you in 2020? How will you make that a habit to pray persistently? And then number three, prayer and then fellowship. Look at fellowship. Again, a very familiar text. The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Fellowship. Koinonia is a Bible word. Koinonia, we've talked about it before. Acts chapter 2. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They developed themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. To give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Koinonia. The word for fellowship. Koinonia means partnership. Coming together. Working together. Mutually growing together. This is a fellowship. In fact... Yeah, look right here. In, in this, it, how many times do we see either the word fellowship or the idea of being together? Just in this one text. One, two, three, four. Four different times God gives us that idea of fellowship, coming together, doing things together. Four different times because that is what God is calling us to do. This, is, this was radical and this was new in those days. They had religion. They had the Jewish faith and they had their traditions. That was nothing new. They had their festivals. They had their days of Purim and days of purification. This was nothing new. They would come together for that. But the idea that outside of the traditions and the rituals and the laws and the things that had to be done when they came together outside of that, everyone went their own way. Now, they were very faithful in, in adhering to the festivals and to the traditions and to the rituals of the temple on that day. But once a, a family, once a, a guy, once a gal, once a teenager left that festival, they were right back into the world, never to be seen again until the next festival or the next Sabbath or the next holy day. And here come the Christians, and they're doing everything wrong. Oh, sure, they're coming together for the rituals. They're coming together for the traditions. They're coming together for their new holy day, which is now Sunday and not Saturday. They're doing all that. That's nothing new. But even in the week, they're getting together. They're eating together. They're, they're hanging out together. They're praying together. They're getting together in the temple courts and reading God's word together. That's not supposed to happen on a Tuesday. That happens on a Sunday. They radically changed everything. This was new. This is exciting. That's the kind of church that God is calling us to be. 
I know when I first came about a year ago, uh, uh, some, of the, some of the ladies that, that used to kind of run our, 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 our fellowship time, they said, Pastor Dave, every time we get together, it seems you want to eat something. What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? Pastor Dave, we eat every time we get together. I'm like, exactly. That's what God is calling us to do, to come together, to eat together, to be together. God is not calling us in terms of fellowship to begin adding new things and and new activities, and new, new ways to fill up our calendar and our agenda. That's not fellowship. God is calling us to do the things we're already doing, but do them together. If you're doing Bible study, grab a new couple and bring them to your Bible study. If you're, if you're going for lunch after church on Sunday, go to lunch after church on Sunday, but grab another couple and say, hey, come with us. If you're meeting here early on Saturday morning to get some work done and, and maybe say a prayer, eat a couple donuts, don't do it by yourself. Grab a couple of the new folks. Say, come on, join us. God is calling us not to fill up our calendars and, and be so busy with the things of the church that we have no more time for our friends outside of the church, but what God is calling us to do in terms of fellowship is continue doing what we're doing, just don't do it alone. Any of you that have ever been involved and, and Lord willing, continue to be involved in the, the work of AA Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll be familiar with this phrase. They say that you can get drunk alone, but you only get sober together. Now, there's a lot of truth in that. We can head down a pretty dark path all by ourselves. We got that down pretty well. But getting better, getting stronger, growing in the Lord in this sense, that happens best when we do it together. This uh, is very similar to what we see in, in children's development. If, if you've at all studied children, we have a lot of teachers in the room, you'll know this exactly. But that, that phase when, when babies are right around two years old, they call it uh, parallel play. That's when you'll have two little two-year-old babies sitting, you know, that's before they start screaming, but while they're sitting, playing, you can have two little babies playing happy as can be right next to each other and not even know the other baby's there. At this stage, they're happily playing all by themselves. They're very inwardly focused, what they have in their hand, what they're going to keep in their hand. There's no sharing of toys. There's no interacting with other babies or even parents. They're very happy to do their own thing. You could have two, three, four, maybe on a good day, even ten babies all playing all by themselves. You say, oh, how nice. Look at them playing together. They're not playing together. They're playing by themselves just next to each other. Well, when does that change? Well, that depends a lot on the culture. And in some cultures in the world where it's very community-based, that changes pretty quickly. Maybe by the time they're four, even five years of age, if, if you live in, in New York City, that, that actually never changes. But, but depending on, on where... Yeah, I'm talking about you, Jimmy. <laughs> but what, whatever stage you're in, God is calling us to get out of that stage. We are not playing on a parallel level. We are not all coming together in a big room and we are not aware of who's sitting right and who's sitting left of us, are we? God has blessed us recently with a number of folks visiting our church in the last year. I don't know how many, a hundred, let's say a hundred folks have visited in the last year. And I mean, to the person, when I get the chance to talk to them, I obviously don't have an opportunity to talk to every single person who visits, but the ones that I talk to, every single person brags on you guys. Oh, I was welcomed so warmly, and everyone was so nice and so friendly, and they smiled, and they gave me a cup of coffee. It was, I, I felt very well received. I hear that over and over and over again. So I just want to hand that off to you and, and bless you for, for being a blessing to others. What I do hear, though, is, that next step was harder. 
Those that have stuck around, those that know I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm going to come two weeks, four weeks, two months, four months, six months. No, I'm going to plant my life here. That next step has been harder. Someone to show me, okay, now where, where do I take my kids? Or show me wh which class would someone invite me to? Now, I know some of you do that. I want you. I want you pounce on the new folks and drag them to your Sunday school class. I know you do it. But not everyone gets invited. Not everyone has that extra touch, if I may say it that way. And I'm asking you guys, break out of that parallel play stage. And don't just play well in the same room, but play well together. God is calling us to fellowship together. And, and how does this all work? And what would that look like? Let me just close with this. As they ate together with gratitude and sincere hearts. How in the world is this going to happen? This is not human nature. We're Americans. We're individualists. We get it done. We don't need anybody else. We're all Bill Gates. And yet God is calling us to reach out and do life together. I think that one phrase, the, the idea of eating together, breaking bread together, but with sincere hearts. That word sincere means uh, authentic. If, if you remember, we've talked about this word. It's, a, it's an old Latin word. It means uh, the, the, your, the, your conversation, the, your relationship should be without wax. Uh, sincere means without wax. What in the world does that mean? Well, in, in the old days, a potter, would sell pots, and of course back then the pots would go over and open fire. So they'd cook their food and whatever else they needed to do. If a potter who is not authentic and truthful, if he happened to break a pot, he may take some wax and stick that pot back together. And the poor uh, housewife that would buy that pot, she'd take it home, thinking she had a new pot, had just paid money for the pot. She sets it on the fire at home, and of course the wax melts in the pot falls apart, ruining that evening's meal. So God is saying, when you relate to each other, let there be no wax. Let there be no mask. Let there be no falsehood. Let there be no hindrance. Let there be no hiding of who you are, but be authentic and transparent every time you're together. In this case, it's eating together, and I highly recommend eating together. That is a great way to build fellowship. God is calling us to be all in, real quickly, in three ways uh, from this text in, in the area of generosity, in the area of, of thinking and expecting the best from others in our relationships with them, and, and, and refusing, refusing to look at every relationship as, what does this bring me? What why am I in this relationship? What will I get out of a relationship with this guy, with this gal, with this new opportunity? God is calling us to be all in. In, in that text, all of this is very clearly laid out. The idea of generosity, the, the words are there. All gave everything to everyone, every time. That's hard. That's not normal. It wasn't normal then. It's not normal now. And I, it, I, trust me, if this church started living that way, it would not be normal in Cape Coral in 2020. But did you hear the end? And the Lord gave daily those who are becoming saved. God, that is, guys, that is what God is calling us to see. And that happens when we are all in, in the area of his word, in the area of prayer, and in the area of fellowship with others. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening this week to the New Hope Church podcast. If you live in and around Cape Coral, Florida, we would love to have you visit our church campus. If you would like some more information about us, we can be found at www.NewHopeCapeCoral.com.